digital infrastructure is a pain point when it comes to the Philippines, and the next administration should consider establishing a national broadband network in order to compete with neighboring countries. In this B-side episode, Mario R. Domingo, founder of deep learning solutions company Neural Mechanics Inc. and director of the Ateneo Institute for the Digital Enterprise, tells Business World reporter Patricia B. Marisol why a fast and reliable broadband connection is important to every sector of the economy. According to the Duterte administration, build, build, build sets up the infrastructure for the future, including its digital infrastructure. How do you think the current administration has done so far, digital infrastructure-wise? I think that for once in a long, long time, we have found the courage under this administration to really go big time on infrastructure building, something that's been required of us to do. But I do understand also how administrations go from the ebb and flow and the life cycles of paying off debts and taking on projects and then taking on projects, borrowing more money, and then eventually another administration focuses on paying it back. And the slow but steady investment in infrastructure is not meeting the demands of what is it required to become globally competitive in infrastructure. When you look outside the Philippines of how Thailand has accelerated, how Vietnam has accelerated and Malaysia has accelerated, they took very big risks, many would say stupid risks, depending on which political side you're in, on on building infrastructure. But if you've been to Thailand during the early 90s, and you saw how bad the congestion was in Bangkok and how heavily criticized the administration was for building the road infrastructure to take it from the airport to Bangkok. But it is unquestionable the value of what those circular freeways have done to Thailand. So when we bring it home, we need more seaports, we need more airports, we need more roadways, and we don't need it more necessarily just in the highly urbanized areas of NCR, but across the country. We have seen how congestion in the time of the pandemic can can cause havoc. We saw how infection rates can really accelerate with density. So the sprawl is required. That's necessary. And to some extent, the silver lining in the pandemics is it made us open our eyes that infrastructure investment is something we have to do. So to answer your question, I personally support the impetus towards making private uh, partnerships and in trying to drive this uh, forward. Unfortunately, we're still really lagging behind in the area of infrastructure overall. So yes, we are built faster and bigger than we've ever done before. And yet we need maybe three times, four times, five times more than we're doing. Any thoughts on cybersecurity and how this can strengthen our digital infrastructure? I have good news and bad news about cybersecurity. I was asked by a person the other day about the cybersecurity risk of the Philippines from a defense standing. What is the state of play of the Philippines in terms of defense, right? Military, you know, uh, exposure to cybersecurity. And I said, there's good news. The good news is no one is going to uh, hack our missile defense system because we have none. No one will hack our information and communications technology network of naval fleet, because we don't really have a naval fleet. We have a bunch of small boats and a couple of big boats donated to us. No one's going to hack into our uh, central battleground management system for our army or our air force, because none exists. 
So the good news is, on, from a defense perspective, foreign countries who want to hack our defense systems will not be able to do so because we are not digital there. However, our entire communications network in the Philippines are almost all Chinese. So the danger there, it's not China per se going after the Philippines. The danger is we have a vulnerability. If somebody hacks into that network, we have almost a homogenous type of tech that you can do it. And when I speak of cybersecurity for all of the Philippines, unprejudiced of which sector, we have a lot of exposure. This is probably the greatest technology risk that exists today. Because my last company went from zero headcount to 40 headcount to take a proactive stance in cybersecurity management. Instead of monitoring, we're constantly attacking ourselves to try to see where the vulnerabilities are. And we have 24-6 operations just continuously testing new technologies, new switches, new algorithms to try to hack ourselves because financial institutions are going to get hacked. You know what else is going to get hacked or already got hacked based on what I, what I see? are our contact tracing apps. Almost all of the contact tracing apps have very you know, rudimentary cybersecurity things. So you can imagine that all of that data is gonna find itself. I mean, no offense to the guys who built the apps. I mean, I'm sure you've done your best, but this is a state of play that is not just in the Philippines, this is across the world. What can private individuals do to protect their own security? Is it even possible or? There are ways to do it. The problem is the business case. It's going to be expensive. And speaking from experience, we have to do it simply because we have to do it. Because if we lose the most valuable commodity in financial sector, we will have no customers. You know what's that most valuable asset of a financial industry? It's trust. The reason why people don't go into all this digital stuff is trust. And if the financial services sector in the Philippines do not ensure that they protect the trust of their customers, they will start losing them to others. They need to take a proactive stance against cybersecurity. Many of our companies today are on a defensive stance. They set up firewalls, they set up certain monitoring systems to monitor what activities are being done, but that's monitoring, right? It's kind of like saying, I will prepare for when a typhoon comes. What you want to do is you want to be proactive and say, you know, where is the typhoon? It's three days away. What is the path looking like? And what are the impact that the 200 kilometer gust of wind is going to hit my east side of my house and how would I protect it? So I think they kind of know what needs to be done. The skill set required there is the same skill set required to hack. And the Philippines is also for a while very well known in the world for hackers. We need to find a way to mobilize those guys and make them work for the good instead of for the evil. You mentioned continuity is very important for us to progress as a nation. So what are your thoughts on some of the campaign promises of the most important presidential candidates in relation to the country's digital infrastructure? 
there's really not enough granularity, right? There's not enough detail. Um, and, and understandably, because they will need around 17, 20 million votes to win. They need to talk to, you know, to a broader base. So when you talk about infrastructure and the digital infrastructure, ultimately it'll be driven by broadband connection. And again, this needs to be a very tight partnership. And in no uncertain terms, I want to be clear that I deeply believe a national broadband network is a project of the national government. Because the moment you privatize it, it becomes a profitability play. And the payout is a lifetime or at least generational. So now if you're a CEO who's responsible for net earnings and shareholder value, you know, it's very difficult to nation build a national broadband network. You know what I'm saying? But you can't really talk about it in a campaign. Do you have any thoughts on the innovative startup path of 2019? It's a great program. It's a great policy. It's a great framework. But if you can't execute it, if you cannot implement it, simple atrophy will kill you. Atrophy because things are slow, bureaucratic, red tape, you know, delays and all of that. So no matter how good the framework and the policy is, if it takes too long to execute it, atrophy would just kill it in the vine. I wanted to make it clear though, that that entrepreneurial act is best in class globally, worldwide. I get in conversations with policymakers, with the Asian Development Bank, with the World Bank, with um, the World Economic Forum. They focus on entrepreneurship to drive digitalization of the country because the incumbents are just too slow. The BDOs, the Metro Banks, the BPI, every single one of them will be too slow and no offense to them, right? It would be the small guys that will act the fastest. That's just the way the world works. We need to follow very ambitious goals. The size of the ambition has to be there. And we have to commit behind it. China did say about their 10 sectors that they want to lead globally. And they put resources and, and plans behind it. Vietnam sets a target of by year 2030, 30%, 30 30% of their GDP will come from the digital sector. There needs to be focus on entrepreneurship. And let me drill down. First, you need to provide the entrepreneur's infrastructure. Because if they have to rent a shared office in BGC to get good 5G connectivity and transportation, you're killing them already because of how expensive it is. Especially if this guy is in Santo Domingo in Alvay. They would never travel to BGC to start their business. And yet they can't start it in Santo Domingo in Albay, you know, because there's no connectivity to take the idea that they have in mind to work into a working mobile app, because every time they try their application hangs or something like that. Infrastructure is important. The roads to get there is very important. The planes and the plane tickets to get there, the boats to get there, that's really important. Second is funding. Those venture capitalists will come in and they will grab 20% of your company, 30% of your company, and you haven't even built anything yet, right? So government is a very important part in funding uh, entrepreneurial activities to drive them forward. But it needs to have two parts. They need to accelerate those things and help them with speed. So what's the point in giving you a grant that will be executed through, I don't know, a national, a state university, and the university has its own bureaucracies. And by the time you finish the procurement process, 
to buy a 1 million peso PC server, it will take you eight months to 10 months. Guess what? The server you're trying to buy, it's obsolete already. That will not happen in Silicon Valley. That will not happen in Paris. That will not happen for that matter in Hanoi. So focus on entrepreneurship. The last two is leadership. And when I say leadership, we have a lot of great leaders, but these guys have to have the future vision and they know what good looks like. We need to build more and install leaders who are hybrid technologists in business, hybrid public servants and technologists. You need future vision people that knows what good looks like. All you need to do, if you think I'm talking crazy, is to look at those guys that are leading the pack in digitalization across the world. These leaders should have the tenacity to drive progress, not to sit there and live with the existing bureaucracies of their organization and enterprise. These guys should be there to knock down any obstacles and accelerate whatever they can to ensure that those initiatives are progressing. Otherwise, we'll all get old doing what we're doing. And finally, and this is the greatest challenge of all of them, is the ability to execute with scale. So you do a pilot, but how do you take this one pilot and scale it big time? So whether you want to look at South Korea, whether you want to look at Singapore, or look at a smaller country like Indonesia on how they're even starting to beat us in terms of the race towards digitalization. But it's not bad news because these are early days. Filipinos are great. They have a strong command of the English language. They have good work ethic. They're technically solid. STEM is solid. So we have an opportunity to still leapfrog. The thing about Filipinos is that we seem to be very malleable when it comes to new technologies. What are your thoughts on that? The Philippines, since the arrival of the mobile phone, has become somewhat of an early adopter in technology. Something to be proud of is how we have adopted and embraced SMS long before the rest of the Western world have done it. And we've used Facebook like there's no tomorrow, uh, you know, and we are early adopters of technology. We're very faddish, you know, when it comes to innovations and stuff like that. However, cryptocurrency um, has a long ways to go, right? The biggest currency that central banks deal with is the factor of trust. So if you go back in history, if you gave me a gold coin with Caesar in it, but I'm in, I don't know, Kyrgyzstan and I don't belong to the Roman Empire, what's the value of a gold Caesar coin to me unless I am doing trade in the Roman Empire somewhere, right? So I know the analogy seems funny, but it's real because the crypto is only as good for where I can use it for. But the universal adoption of cryptocurrency to the ambition of removing the need for central banking and cross-border, that's crazy, right? Governments need to protect their citizens from fraud and protect themselves from bad things happening to them financially. And therefore, it will be the jobs of the governments to regulate cryptocurrency. At some point, SEC central bank with mature its thinking, and I know they do the research all the time, are on cryptocurrency and put in the controls. All you need to do is look at Dubai, look at what UAE has done. It's embraced it, but it formed 
very agile regulation and the government has been central in creating the blockchain firewall because cryptocurrency is super cool. I really like what it can do in terms of speeding up uh, financial transactions, but there is that element of trust that needs to happen. So when you hear words like non-custodial, uh, non-regulated, non-fungible, so when you see it, it's super cool, the notion of it, because we've always we worked with fungibility, we've always worked with financial instruments that are regulated and controlled, and believe it or not, you want it to be regulated and controlled so that no one goes and scams you. But yeah, I understand this centralization of finance. There's a need to do that because we need to improve ultimately our experience in doing business when dealing with our money. So I understand the need for it. How it will grow in the Philippines is still early days. There's still a lot to do. There's a lot of noise around it, but I think it still has time to mature. Will foreign direct investments also help further digital infrastructure here in the Philippines? I disagree that a foreigner needs to own 100% of the enterprise. Uh, Singapore doesn't allow you to do that. I have formed companies in Singapore. There's great trust in Singapore, but a percentage of the enterprise or the venture needs to be Singaporean owned, or at the very least, a Singaporean board of director needs to be present in the organization I'm in, depending on which sector you're in. In the more sensitive sectors, there needs to be a citizen owning part of the company, a minimum requirement. And all sectors requires that it's a certified board member to ensure that governance is done within the country. To the point that it will drive FDA up Absolutely. I marvel at South Korea on how they've come from the civil wars of the late 40s, early 50s, and became a superpower. I marvel at Japan and how they were devastated Two atom bombs, carpet bombing across all of the major cities came back to become a first world country. And in our culture and our work ethic is not much different. The difference is these guys has put in sustainable and scalable solutions, right? Uh, fastest internet, right? What's the common denominator? When you go to look at the, the common denominator across them, fast internet, stable internet. Good power, good water. <laughs> it's almost very existential when you think about it. <laughs> what will it take for the common tao to embrace digital adoption? So it's the ubiquity of the use of that digital wallet or currency, right? So whether it's a digital wallet like PayMaya, PayPal, uh, Gcash, or whatnot, and the ease of use like QR codes, right? So, so you, you go to some countries like China, you have your Alipay, and you just, you know, hit the QR code, done. You know, the ease of use is big time. But it's good that the pandemic has tipped us over into the use of digital, right? That's all good. Because we wouldn't have done it. We we're just creatures of habit. To break the usage patterns is to make sure that the ecosystem is all digital as well. That concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Mario R. Domingo, founder of deep learning solutions company Neural Mechanics, Inc., and director of the Ateneo Institute for the Digital Enterprise, talking with business world reporter Patricia B. Mirasol. 
Digital infrastructure and broadband connections aren't really campaign talking points, according to Mr. Domingo, since candidates need to appeal to a broad base to secure their win. But he makes it clear that if the Philippines wants to compete globally, it will need to strengthen its digital capabilities. This episode was recorded remotely on December 14, 2021. It was produced by Paolo L. Lopez, Gino D. Nicolas, and me, Sam L. Marcelo. Thanks for listening.